All right, well, thank you, worship team. Thank you, congregation, for being here today. We're glad if you're a first-time visitor or a many-time visitor, we're glad that you are with us with our church family today on this special day, the Lord's Day. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3. We're just going to look at one verse today, thinking about a melodious message, and that verse is Colossians 3.16. It'll be up here on the screen. I'm in the New American Standard Bible uh, the 1995 version, that may be more than you ever thought about, but uh, different translations do different things with these clauses and twist things around and um, trying to get at the original meaning. And I think uh, this version does a really nice job of capturing what the scripture says here. Colossians 3.16, and here's what it says. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Christianity is a singing religion. A singing religion. Of course, rooted in the Jewish faith tradition, which also is rich not only in ceremony but in song. Did you know that not every religion is a singing religion? In fact, many eschew it and, and don't want any part of it. Very few have the intense focus and attention given to music and singing like the Christian faith. I want you to think about something. How many different aspects of your social or corporate life include personal singing? Besides church, where else do you go that you sing. Maybe in the car, most of you, if you're singing in the car, it's just you, probably, right? Right? And probably in these days in your car, if you have a family, there's four different songs going at once. If there's four of you, right? iPads and iPods and iPhones and earbuds and all that stuff, and you're all singing a different song, and they say, hey, mom, dad, shut off that radio station. I'm trying to listen to my music, right? But where else do you go that you sing? Probably not many clubs that you go. Hopefully not your workplace, your school. I don't know. We sang in school some. I, I can't think other than church of any other workplace where I sang. Uh, I did have a family member who worked for Walmart uh, up in the corporate headquarters area. And one of the things he liked to talk about was his disdain for the fact that they made them sing a Walmart song. Uh, at these different team meetings or whatever, they would actually have to sing and spell out with their bodies, Walmart. And I don't know if you know this, but between Wall and Mart, there's a little squiggly thing. I'm not sure what you call that thing. And apparently there was some sort of gyration you were supposed to do between Wall and Mart. And uh, this particular member of the family was, is a bit of a skeptic, and I, I just laughed to hear him. And, and needless to say, he did not climb the corporate ladder at Walmart. They were very serious about singing and gyrating and spelling out the Walmart name. And I thought, man, that's weird. And, and I think that his deal was, this is needless. This is pointless. What in the world are they making us do this for? And you could be reprimanded for not doing it. And I wonder if it's not true that in the church, many have the same sort of confusion about why we sing. Maybe there's even some who have a little bit of disdain for uh, the music and the singing, questioning why is it important? Is this something really we should be putting this kind of focus on? And I'll tell you where we need to go to answer that question. We need to go to the Bible. 
As a people of the book, what we need to do is say, we want to be instructed about all aspects of our corporate life together, our fellowship and our worship, and see what the Bible says. Why do Christians sing? How should Christians sing? What should Christians sing? Why is this actually something that we're even talking about at all? The Bible, I think, gives us some helpful guidance and answers. I will tell you that if you start to go to the New Testament and say, I want to look at every passage in the New Testament that speaks about singing, you'll actually not find very many. There are three primary ones, Ephesians 5, I think it's verse 19, the one we're looking at today, Colossians 3, 16. And then in James, uh, James chapter 5, I believe it is, there's just as an instruction, if you're glad, sing. I'm not sure if it's corporate instruction that's given there, but I think that Colossians 3, 16 is the clearest scriptural window into New Testament, Church of Jesus Christ, corporate singing. So I want us to look at it today. Some things that you'll note that it instructs this passage, this verse that I just read, instructs the church to corporately sing songs. It teaches us to sing the kind of songs that we should sing. It tells us how we should sing, what are the motives, what is the message of our singing, what is the appropriate condition of the heart when we come together and sing. And it answers the question, why in the world are we even doing this? Why should we even bother with singing, all right? Congregational singing is important. It's a vital part of what we do. And I will say, as we're embarking on this day of the church considering uh, this position of filling and, and putting resources into a paid staff person to lead us in our congregational singing, I think it's worth looking at this and us thinking about what the Bible teaches us. But here's what you need to see. Singing in church is the whole congregation's job. The congregation is the group of singers that is commanded and shown to us. So let's see what we can find out about congregational singing. One more time, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The first thing we see in this passage is a little bit about the motive and the message of our singing. The key point what the singing is ultimately all about, I think it's both the root and the fruit of our singing. Here's what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Singing is somehow related, and that's what we've got to figure out as we're unpacking this scripture. How is singing related to this word of Christ dwelling within us? Is it the cause or is it the effect? Or is it both? Is it the root or is it the fruit? But what you can clearly see here is that the focus of our singing right off the bat from Colossians 3.16 is that it's about the word of Christ. Actually, in Colossians chapter 3, there are multiple things that are told. And we, you know, just right before this, I think starting back in verse 12, it says the character of Christ should be formed in you. The love of Christ should be in you. The peace of Christ should dwell in you. And now he says the word of Christ should dwell richly within you. And it's related to our singing. It's interesting, the word of Christ. The word of Christ, the message. What we're singing about this word of Christ. What is that? Well, it's actually, that phrase is only found one other time in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. So we got to think about what is meant by the word of Christ. I think where we generally go is, well, it's the word. When Baptists hear the word, they think Bible. I'm not sure that's wrong. I would say this. All of the scriptures point us to Jesus. 
He is the central character and theme of all of the scriptures. And so I think it is safe to say when we think about the word of Christ, maybe it's pointing us to the Bible. That's a general way of hearing the word of Christ. Well, it's biblical. Let, let, the, let the Bible words and the Bible teachings richly dwell in you. I don't think that's specific enough. It says the, t- the word of Christ. Well, is that the teaching of Christ, the words that came out of his mouth? Is it just the, his commands? Is it the apex of his ministry, which is the cross and the blood? I think it's all of those things. It's the message of the grace of Christ. Certainly it would include his teaching, his commands, and his word. But what I think we're to see is that Christ is to be the center of our singing. Not us. It's not about us. We're not the central focus. He is. So it's clear that the focus of our singing is this word of Christ. Let the word of Christ. And so this word of Christ, somehow when we're singing... It comes to dwell richly within us. Singing is associated with this word of Christ, the truths of Christ, the beautiful work of Christ, the person of Christ, the ministry of Jesus, dwelling richly, getting deep within us and doing something, having an impact is associated with our singing about Christ and what he has done. So I think it's a reasonable interpretation to say that singing good Christ-centered doctrinally sound songs is a way that the word of Christ dwells within us and among us as God's people. You know, our singing shouldn't be the only place that we're getting the word of Christ. I think when we're going to the word and we're meditating and we're abiding in Jesus, as John 15 says, when we're walking with him day by day, I think when we come and sing about him then, it is all the more rich. Because day by day we've been in the word. We've been walking with Jesus and we come and we're instructed even more. But the fact is that many from Sunday afternoon till Sunday morning maybe not coming across the words of Jesus and the life of Christ very much. And so it is important that when we come here, this is a place that we can come and we know that we are going to be focusing our eyes on Jesus our Savior. And when it says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, and we're thinking about singing, here's something we should think. This is not superficial. This is not just on the surface. This is deep. This is real. It's not mindless. It shouldn't be hypocritical. If the word of Christ is dwelling richly within us, that means that the outer thing that we're saying and doing is matching the inner part. And so it's meant to align our outward lives with our inward lives. The word of Christ dwelling richly within us, changing us, conforming us to Christ. Music and singing has a great power. God designed music and singing. He is the author of it. Did you know that God sings? God is a singing God. And he's created it where music and singing has this power to embed truths from our minds down into our hearts. I was thinking about, it's kind of a crude illustration, but I was thinking about the, the, the pills that I try to give my dog. And man, you can't get those dogs to take those pills. You can cram them in there all you want. You get your finger bit. But you know what? If you wrap them in a little bit of ham or steak, man, they'll take that thing. And music in a lot of ways is like that. It takes these great truths and things that we need and it takes them deeply within us. And so it's an important application as we think about this that our songs, we should measure our songs and think about the things that we sing and those who are in charge of picking the songs, we need to make sure 
that they're rich and true and compelling and Christ-exalting. I came across this quote. I thought it was a great, it was an old-timey preacher. He said, a singer has no more right to sing a lie than a preacher has to preach a lie. You know, in other words, we'll listen to the preaching, and man, we're, we're scrutinizing, and what did he say? Did he say this? Did he say it exactly the right way? But I wonder if we pay attention to what we sing as much as what we hear preached. And so Christ is at the center of it. The next thing we see in this one verse is a frequently forgotten or overlooked role of our singing. And that is singing is teaching and admonishing. Look at what he says. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now listen to me. Here's what we often say. Worship is vertical. It's between me and God. That's true. Our singing in church is, there's a vertical aspect of it, me and God. But listen, what we're talking about here is congregational corporate singing. And there is a clear horizontal role. In other words, this is different than me singing in my car by myself. Or early in the morning, singing to the Lord, or just singing and humming, or whistling a song as I go about my work. This singing is different. And there is this horizontal role to where when we sing in the hearing of our brothers and sisters, we actually are teaching them and encouraging them, admonishing. Admonishing is one of those words, you know, it's kind of right on the line. It can be fairly positive, like it's an encouragement to do the right thing. But it also has a little bit of a sharp edge, like a rebuke. Like, hey, make sure you're seeing this. Get, get this right. Do this thing. Corporate worship and singing is unique. It's singing to God and it's also singing to one another. Here's a great quote from a worship leader. Listen to this. He's a worship pastor. Came across this. I think it was on the Gospel Coalition. He said, good songs take the truths hovering in our heads and sink them down for our hearts to dwell on. Sure, we could speak the lyrics and the truth and it should still move us, but the elements of rhythm and melody arrest our affections in transformative ways above speech alone. So when we come together and we have to realize that not, not everybody is gifted in instruments and music and all those kinds of things. And so it's such a blessing when we can come together and skillful musicians can lead us in this rhythmic melody and truth of singing. Man, singing a thing and hearing something sung has such power to guide our actions. It changes us. We hear it and we're changed. And when you show up to church on Sunday morning and you sing, you know what you do? You're not only a worship leader, you're a preacher. When you sing these great truths, there's people beside you hearing them. And so as we were singing today and, and, and the music pulled back a little bit and the, the people with microphones pulled away just a little bit, you know what I heard? I don't know how many I heard, but I heard a lot of people out there singing things that I needed to hear in my ears. That there are people here that they believe this and they're preaching and proclaiming this truth to me. And it's, it's an encouragement so when we sing, we teach and we encourage, we instruct others in the truth. Mutual edification. Listen, singing is one to another. It's singing to God, but when we come together corporately, we're singing to one another. That same worship leader, I believe it was, here's what he wrote. In all my years as a worship pastor, I've found that the most powerful leaders of congregational worship 
are almost always found in the pews. The mother who lost a child, who is still singing through her tears, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Out in the pew there is a young professional recently fired from his dream job because of his Christian conviction. And still he boldly sings, How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Out in the pew there is a single woman battling loneliness and depression who is singing out, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him, o'er and o'er. And there is just this great power when we know one another and we know the struggles of one another's life and we see and we hear our brothers and sisters clinging to these truths that speaks and it preaches and it teaches and it admonishes us. Your singing does that. What do we want to be known for as a congregation in regards to our music? Here it is. It's congregational singing that exalts Christ and teaches and admonishes one another. I think that is the biblical goal in this one window into church music that we have, Colossians 3.16. It's about singing, about Christ, motivated in our singing, about Christ and congregation, brothers and sisters, singing to one another. I'll tell you what this verse also speaks about. It speaks about the appropriate songs for the con Christian congregation to sing. Now we're treading on dangerous ice. We're on thin ice here, right? And what it says is, now listen to me, this is the Bible. I, well, it really matters not much what my opinion is or your opinion is, but it matters what God's opinion is. And I think the Bible gives us psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now we've got to figure out what that is. This is the rich diversity that the congregation is to sing from. Psalms and hymns, or maybe your translation says songs of the spirit. So I begin to look. I think we think we know what these things are, but I thought, you know, you should always test your assumption. So I go to my little program and I start looking up these words. Psalms. I, you know, do the little clicking on my computer and I'm tracing it down. Okay, in Greek it's here. And What is a psalm? Well, in the Greek, which is what the original language of the New Testament was written, psalms could mean this generally. It's a song sung by someone who's plucking a string instrument. I like that word, pluck. They're plucking a stringed instrument, so there's music along with it, an instrument, and they're singing. But we know, as we are rooted in the Old Testament faith of the Jews, that when we hear psalms, and I think rightly so, I think that's probably what Paul meant here, it's the Old Testament book of the psalms. I'll tell you, the book of psalms is probably the richest treasure store of songs that the church today is basically ignoring. We do very little with the Psalms. And I've been really encouraged to read some things about what's going on in church music in various places. And there seems to be this revival of musicians going, man, let's take what God has inspired in the book of Psalms. Let's set it to music. And let's sing it. And you can find all kinds of songs and, and uh, records or, you know, uh, uh, streaming and all that stuff of new upcoming people, young people, old people, singing the psalms found in Scripture. So that's a place that we should be singing. Then he says hymns. You know, you can be relatively certain that when Paul writes hymnos, he is not talking about the 1991 Baptist hymnal. 
He's not talking about the updated 2008 Baptist hymnal that has some modern-day choruses. Though he was spirit-inspired, I don't think that's what he had in mind. So I do the same deal. I right-click on the word hymn, and I go to the Greek, and I start chasing that down. What is a hymn? It's going to shock some of you. Because the only, only category you've got for him is what's in that book, right? Or maybe there's the Heavenly Highways hymnal, and you know, or maybe you grew up in a different faith tradition, you've got a different hymnal, but that's in your mind. You know, most of those songs are written in the 17, 18, 1900s. Again, pretty post-Paul. So what's he talking about? You know, what a, you know what a hymn is? You know what the definition of a hymn is? According to my Bible software, which is pretty high dollar stuff, pretty powerful stuff, it's a praise song. It's like, what? We categorize hymns or praise songs. A hymn is a praise song. It's an ode of praise. That's how you define it. Now, I do think when we think about the Christ hymns that we see in various places in the New Testament, generally when we talk about hymns, these are songs that are passed along. They're written and they're familiar to a group and they adopt these as kind of their song. And it, it speaks to our shared reality. There is no agreed upon definition of the word hymn, by the way. It's not, we try to put musical things, we try to say, well, it's so many verses. <laughs> you can look in the hymnal, you can find songs that are nothing but one line repeated over and over. Hymns are our shared songs of the faith. That's what they are. It's songs we know. It's songs that other people know. And so reasonably, we would think if we have these hymns, we've kind of adopted them, we could assume that when we come together with God's people, we kind of know these songs. We've got these songs. There are, they are our songs passed along. Certainly then, they would be probably a bit traditional, right? It's songs that my mother sang, and she taught to me, and her mother sang to her. And in the little church where I grew up in, we sang those. And y'all sing those here. There are shared songs. So it says sing, sing psalms out of the scripture, hymns. That's our shared songs of the faith, probably traditional. And then it says spiritual songs or songs of the spirit. This is a head scratcher. I read a bunch of different commentaries, and every one of them had a different interpretation of what is a spirit song. Well, one guy says that's just, it's not a secular song. We don't want to come and sing the Beatles. Some of y'all want to. We don't want to come together as the church and sing Elvis songs. Though he did do a hymn record, right? Not secular songs. These are spirit songs or spiritual songs. Actually, several commentators said this. A spirit song is a spontaneously composed song that right there on the fly someone came up with. Again, I'm not a very spiritual dude sometimes. You know, the only thing I could think of with a song like that was my favorite movie, which is Elf. <laughs> and, and Elf's dad said, are you, are you going to sing or what? I'm here to sing you a song. And I'm just going, that was so awkward. And I'm thinking about how would that work for us to sing together in the church just a song that someone stands up and says, hey, I got a song. The Lord, the Spirit has just given to me. You know, that is possible. And maybe they did that. We're probably not going to do that here. All right? So, so I started, I'm, I'm still looking. What is a spirit song? What is a spiritual song? I'm even praying, Lord, what, what, what do we get from this? What are we supposed to understand? And I think these are songs that are probably composed or arranged or felt impressed upon a person that they want to share this song with the church. 
And surely, hopefully, folks that are leading and putting together the song list that we do, you know, we're led of the Spirit. We're asking the Lord, what would you want to say to your people? What do our, God, what does your people need to sing? What does this body need to come together and hear? But maybe it would be a special song. that Someone comes and says, I've just got this song that I want to share with the church. Maybe it's that kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know. I think it could be all of those. Here's, we had a guy in the church that I grew up with from time to time on Sunday nights. He would get up and he would just play a song and he sang and, and played the guitar like James Taylor. Man, I loved it. And we'd get up and his songs almost never rhymed. Like the lines never rhymed, but they were great scriptural songs. And man, God used those things powerfully. They, they were things that came out of his heart. And I think at bare minimum, we should think that spiritual songs are songs that are teaching and speaking the things that the Lord is doing within us that we feel like we need to share with the congregation and let the congregation know what God is doing. It's very possible that this is speaking about, now listen, this is going to blow some of your minds, a new song, a not traditional song, a song maybe that we don't know yet, but maybe a spirit song is a song that the Lord wants us to hear. Did you know how many times the Bible actually says, sing a new song to the Lord? I read this in preparation for this sermon. Did you know that the Bible never, not one time, says sing an old song? Now I'm making some of you mad. Not one time does the Bible say, say sing an old song, but many times sing a new song to the Lord. Now I think the assumption is that the hymns, the scriptures, are songs that are old songs. These are songs that we know. But it says many times in the Bible, sing a new song to the Lord. Man, we need to see this rich diversity of music in this one verse, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Finally, probably more important than the song selection even is what's going on in the heart of the worshiper. We're told how we are to approach our singing. Look at how it finishes. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Christian singing. It's not the only way that the word gets in your heart, but it's a powerful way. It's an important way. It's a way that the Bible tells us to let the word of Christ dwell richly with us. It's a way for you to speak a message to that person in and around you and to this whole congregation about the goodness of Christ. And it does this. Our corporate singing gives us an opportunity to thankfully express our joy for what the Lord has done for us. How often do you do that? How often do you have a, an actual, like, audible or write-it-down way that you are expressing thanksgiving to God? Really, we should do that in our prayers always. Hopefully, when we pray, even over, like, our food, it's a time to give thanks. But actually, church singing, congregational singing, is a time for us to express our thankfulness and let it build. Man, Uncork that thankfulness. And as you're singing, and we're singing these songs about what God has done for us, it's like it just lets it flow. And we become more and more thankful. But it's just an opportunity for us to be thankful. We sang the song, 10,000 Reasons for My Heart to Find to Bless the Lord. To thank the Lord. 10,000 reasons. That wouldn't even touch it. 
We are to bless the Lord. Y'all know I always have to give you the post-county fair wrap-up. I always have to have my illustration from the county fair. We just finished up the Searcy County Fair, and all of you poor folks in Boone County are just about to start yours. So, you know, I, I tell you, county fairs are supposed to be a really great and fun thing. That's what they were meant to be, to celebrate what the Lord has done, the bounty of the fall, everything that's taken place, and we come and we share and we have fun together. That's what it's supposed to be about. But you know what became clear to me again this year at the county fair, and I wonder why I uh, sometimes inflict our family to this torture. Uh, what occurred to me is how easily in the midst of all of our blessings and all the good things that we have and the great fellowship and the generosity of others and the goodness of God, how easily we can be grumbling and complaining in the midst of something that is supposed to be a good thing. That happened at the county fair. And something was said, and I kind of was interpreting some things that were said, and I thought, my goodness, we have just finished this activity that was so fun for the kids who don't know any better. <laughs> all of the parents, you know, and, and I'm hearing the griping and the complaints and all of that, and I said, oh, my goodness. What is wrong with us that we have turned this blessing into a curse? It reminded me how easily our hearts want to grumble and we lose sight of thankfulness. And singing is a way that reminds us. Singing about Christ and his goodness is a chance to restore our joy, the joy of our salvation. That's part of what the singing's all about. It should be a heart check for us. If we can't sing, The problem is probably not outside of us. It's probably in, inside of us. It's just a heart check to be thankful. Mike's going to come and I ask him to lead this little song about giving thanks. It's a simple chorus. And it's, it's very simple. And it's pretty repetitive. And we're going to stand and sing it together in just a moment. But as we prepare to do that, I want to say a couple of things. Number one, I want to jog our memory about what we have to be thankful for as Christians. But before I do that, let me say this. If you're here today and you don't know the overwhelming, amazing love and grace of Jesus Christ that is truly life-changing, I want you to know him today. And all you have to do to receive this free gift of salvation is to admit your need to turn from your sins and trust Jesus Christ by faith. Trust him. Call out to him to be saved right where you sit. Out from your heart. Call out with your mouth, with your words, that Jesus would save you. And you're not sure. Maybe you say, I don't, you've just been talking about singing. You hadn't told me anything about the salvation and what Jesus has done. So I'm going to tell you some things that come out of Colossians 1 through 3 about this great salvation. And it's for those of you who are maybe on the fence and you're thinking, tell me more about this salvation. But it's also for the rest of us who are on the other side of having been converted and born again. Maybe you've been in church life for decades and decades and it's done nothing but worn you down and worn you out. Hey, listen today. Here's some things that we have to be thankful for in Jesus Christ. And so I want these to well up in your heart as we prepare to sing a song of thanksgiving. 
Here's what Colossians 1 through 3 says we can be thankful for. We can be thankful that the gospel of Jesus Christ knows no bounds and no limits. It is going out and people right now today are being saved, born again by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ all over this world. We can be thankful that there are Christians and people in this very room. You are sitting in the midst of many people who were once in darkness, held in the bondage of sin and shame, and they have been set free when they turned to Jesus, and they now are in light. You can be thankful that you have a heavenly Father who calls you a son or a daughter, and he has given you, if you're in Christ, an inheritance with the saints. You are an heir to all that Jesus has You can be thankful that in Jesus you have been redeemed. That is purchased from the bondage of sin. You have been freed. You are not in bondage to Satan or to sin or the flesh. You are free. You are free indeed. You can be thankful that because of what Jesus did on the cross and by your faith in him, listen, friend, every sin that you have ever committed is forgiven. You are forgiven in Christ. You can be thankful because Jesus' death, because of what he did, you can stand holy and blameless before the Lord. You can be thankful that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that he overcame death, hell, and the grave, that when you attach your life and your soul to Jesus, that you are raised to new life. And the Bible says in Colossians that your life is hidden with Christ. In other words, no one can snatch you away. Death has no victory over you. Jesus' resurrection is your resurrection. And the last thing that you can be thankful for if you have faith in Christ is that when Christ appears, he is going to appear in glory, in glory, and you will appear with him. You will be with him and you will rule and reign with him for all eternity. Man, that's a lot to be thankful for. So now would you stand with me? as we sing, as this is an opportunity for us to just give thanks for all that he has done for us.